Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. When I was growing up, the neighbors all around where I lived were all older people. And by older, I mean senior citizens, people over 60. The majority of them were very nice to me, but they were older. And slowly but surely, they all started to move away and or pass away. And the houses became inhabited by new people, people I didn't know growing up. Usually, they were new families, sometimes with kids older or younger than me. But one of the houses, the one right next to me, which had been inhabited by two sisters for a very long time, they moved out and a new family moved in. One of the kids in that family was exactly my age. It took a little bit of time, but we warmed up to each other and started hanging out. This was very different than other friends that I had who lived a good distance away. Although, side note, another good friend of mine would move into the house directly behind where I lived. So it seemed like we were just filling in all of the houses around me with people I knew. But the friend next to me was very interesting in that there was maybe 10 or 15 feet between the houses, and directly across from me was his room. And so often at night, we would just sit up talking because we could, usually until one of us got yelled at and told to go to bed. We talked about a lot of things, Dungeons and Dragons, what was happening at school, video games, and eventually something we both had in common, Commodore computers. We both had Commodore 64s, and we would often exchange games and software one week, I remember we weren't seeing much of this friend. Then one night I was sitting watching TV and I heard him yelling my name from across the alleyway. I looked and he said, you got to try this game. I said, what game? He goes, it's called The Bard's Tale. Now we had multiple methods for exchanging stuff across that alleyway. We tried ropes, we tried string. Eventually we just started throwing things across the way to each other and got really good at it. So without almost hesitation, he put a rubber band around the box and he just hurled the game across the alleyway into my room. I didn't sleep a wink that night. I would go to the window and yell, I can't believe how good this game was. And he was so excited about the game himself that he just hung out by the window, ready to respond to any questions and to talk about the game. It was a unique situation and a unique time. And because of it, the memory of the first time I played The Bard's Tale is locked into my mind. I can remember sneaking downstairs to get something to drink at close to midnight. I remember at 1 or 2 a.m. when finally he fell asleep and I was playing by myself. I remember my sister going past my room and popping in and asking if everything was all right. Of course everything was all right. I was playing The Bard's Tale. I would play The Bard's Tale for the next couple of weeks, nonstop, until my friend demanded I give him the discs back. And after that, I would play the second and third sequel just as rigorously. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about this very memorable game, the Bard's Tale. We'll talk about the people and the company behind The Bard's Tale. We'll talk about its gameplay, its release, its reception, its sequels, its ports, and we'll throw in some surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
The Bard's Tale was a computer role-playing game. It was programmed and designed by Michael Cranford for the Apple II. It would be produced by Interplay Productions and released and distributed by Electronic Arts in 1985. In addition to that Apple II version, they would port it to many systems, my beloved Commodore 64 being just one of them. Now, early on, when this game was released, it used a series title, as if this was going to be a series of games called Tales of the Unknown. So it was Tales of the Unknown, The Bard's Tale. Now, there is some debate about the naming of this. I've heard that there was going to be a trilogy that would have had the Archmage's Tale and the Thief's Tale, but according to Cranford, it was never going to be called the Archmage's Tale. And during that same interview, he says that originally The Bard's Tale was going to be called Tale of the Scarlet Bard. I don't know what the answer is to this, but it is an interesting little quirk of the game. The Bard's Tale was wildly popular, so eventually they just dropped the Tales of the Unknown, and everyone pretty much just knows it as the Bard's Tale. Now before I get into the people who built the game, I want to talk a little bit about the companies who made and distributed it. The company behind the development was Interplay. Interplay was founded in 1983 as Interplay Productions by developers Jay Patel, Troy Worrell, Rebecca Heinemann, and Brian Fargo. They also had a non-developer in that lineup of founders, Chris Wells. Before they created Interplay, the founding developers of the company worked at a company called Boone Corporation, which was a video game developer based in California. That company would eventually go under, and the four of them got together with investor Chris Wells and thought, well, we could create a company that was better than what Boone was. So in October of 1983, they founded Interplay. Like a lot of companies at the time when they were starting, a lot of their early projects were ports of existing software. They also did a little military work. They then would enter into negotiations with another company, Activision, and would get a $100,000 contract to produce three illustrated text adventures. And they would base those on work that Fargo had done on a 1981 game, Demon's Forge. Also in 1983, they started working with Electronic Arts, EA, porting the racing destruction set to Atari 8-bit computers. All that work would be done by Rebecca Heinemann, and it would take a while, finally being released in 1986. During this time, they would contract with Michael Cranford, who would design The Bard's Tale, but they would also start working on other games that would get released, including Neuromancer and Battle Chess, very well-known games. They would make a bunch of Star Trek games, but are probably best known for establishing the Fallout series of games, which are still going strong today, as well as the Baldur's Gate series of games. So a really good resume, and while The Bard's Tale is a great game, it is just one great game in a history of great games at Interplay. The distributor of The Bard's Tale was Electronic Arts which was a video game company founded in 1982 and based in Redwood City, California. It was founded by Trip Hawkins, who was a Apple employee. And while it's a juggernaut now, it was a big deal even back then. They pioneered so many early games for the home computer market. They even promoted their designers in ways that other people didn't, giving them a very interesting reputation at the time when a lot of people didn't know who the people behind these games were. They would publish a lot of titles. Until 1987, they would all be by external developers. 
that changed in 87 when they released Skate or Die. And that's when the company started to become more of a game studio and now have dozens of franchises, a lot of them very well known, including the Battlefield series, The Sims, Medal of Honor, Madden NFL, NBA Live, a whole bunch of Star Wars games. The list goes on and on and on. So you got these two companies who would help get the game out there. But there was a person behind the Bard's Tale, and his name is Michael Cranford. Cranford was born in 1963. He's a programmer and designer, amongst other things. His most famous work would be the Bard's Tale, but he would also work on the Bard's Tale 2 and Darkseed. He probably would have released more video games, but he would leave the industry in 92 to go back to school to get his master's degree in social ethics from the University of Southern California. In addition to his original work, he did the Apple II version of Donkey Kong and the Commodore 64 version of Super Zaxxon. He didn't do the game alone, although he did do a lot of work. He had some really talented people behind him. Two that stand out are the person who did the graphics, David Lowry. I can't find a lot about Lowry online. I see him listed in some places as working on video cinematics with Steven Spielberg, but that could be another person with the same name who's getting confused. Maybe it is the same person, but whatever the case, he did a great job with the graphics on The Bard's Tale. As you might guess from a game called The Bard's Tale, there is music in the game. I guess for those who aren't into fantasy gaming, they might not know what a bard is. Picture any fantasy or medieval movie or book that you've read, and there's this traveling guy who's got a lute or mandolin, some sort of instrument, and he goes around singing songs and entertaining people. That's a bard. And they are used in games like Dungeons and Dragons and other ones as often playable characters. You can be a bard. And that's kind of the basis for this. Naming the game The Bard's Tale, music has to be a very important part of the game. And the music in this game was done by Lawrence Holland. He is a video game designer and founded the video game company Totally Games. He started out programming for the VIC-20 on a game called Slime and would work on Super Zaxxon, Spike's Peak, and Project Space Station. Now, for a lot of people, that's a really good resume, but Holland would go on to bigger things. He would develop a series of flight simulators for LucasArts, which was Lucasfilm Games at the time. These included Secrets of the Luftwaffe, Their Finest Hour, and Battle Hawks 1942. That would be pretty good on its own. But because those were so successful, he was approached to do a very different type of flight simulator, a space flight simulator for the Star Wars franchise. And that would result in some really great selling and very playable games. X-Wing, then Star Wars TIE Fighter, Star Wars X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, and then finally Star Wars X-Wing Alliance. So really great games. A lot of people who were working at Interplay at the time would probably have some input on the game and would be involved a lot more in the sequels. We'll talk a little bit about them later, but I want to mention those people again. Brian Fargo, Becky Heineman, Fergus Urquhart, and David Warhol. Cranford would do the game design, of course come up with the concept, and do all the programming on The Bard's Tale and the second game. The Bard's Tale 2, The Destiny Knight, which we'll talk a little bit about later. A lot of the game design was based on Dungeons and Dragons, not from Cranford, but from how Brian Fargo would talk about it. But there was another game out there 
that did something similar to what the Bard's Tale did, and it was called Wizardry. Wizardry had not been put out on the Commodore, but it had been put out on the Apple. Cranford saw it and thought, this is a pretty good game, but it could be a lot better. And so learning what he did from Fargo, playing around with Wizardry, he came up with a game that built upon ideas and concepts from those two properties. Let's you play hundreds more games than any video machine, plus draw, program, even do music. I'm more alive than ever before, when my friends are knocking down my door. Cause now we're into so much more, we're into our Commodore 64. The relationship between Heinemann and Cranford has not been great from what I've read online, and I think it has a lot to do with the third game in the series, The Thief of Fate, The Bard's Tale 3 which was worked on by Heinemann, and there were some rights arguments with Cranford that seemed to drive a wedge between the two. But Heinemann did contribute some development work to the original Bard's Tale, including data compression work, something that would allow the game to have a lot more graphics and animation. That's just some work amongst others. So quite a lot of people behind the scenes working on this game, and a very strong person at the helm with a vision for what this game could be, which is usually a good recipe for success. Now, a lot of that disparaging stuff was written quite a while ago, and I have read stuff since then that says that they have put that all behind them. There are no grudges held long term. It's just a shame that it even happened because it becomes a talking point when you're looking at the legacy and creation of this game. Long ago, when magic still prevailed, the evil wizard Mangar the Dark threatened a small but harmonious country town called Scarabre. Evil creatures oozed into Scarabre and joined his shadow domain. Mangar froze the surrounding lands with a spell of eternal winter, totally isolating Scarabre from any possible help. Then, one night, the town militiamen all disappeared. The future of Scarabre hung in the balance, and who was left to resist? Only a handful of unproven young warriors, junior magic users, a couple of bards barely old enough to drink, and some out-of-work rogues. You are there. You are the leader of this ragtag group of freedom fighters. Luckily, you have a bard with you to sing your glories, if you survive. For this is the stuff of legends, and so the story begins. That is from... The Bard's Tale, the original, so I think that sums up what you're about to get yourself into when you play this game. Gameplay itself has you creating a group of up to six characters in the game, and each of those characters will have a specialty. If you haven't played fantasy games before, you pick a class, something like a warrior, a rogue, or a magic user, and they fill that role in a party of adventurers. And to advance in the game, you have to advance the character's experience and make them more powerful. These are all tropes that are very familiar to people now who play games, but might not have been to everyone back then. At the same time, you needed to find certain items on your quests and obtain information to figure it out. Scarabray, as a location, is a real place in the real world. It is a Neolithic village that is preserved in the Orkney Islands of Scotland. The settlement is 4,000 years old, but was buried by sand and was only uncovered in the 19th century during a storm. It is a tourist site that you could go visit, and 
is not only used in The Bard's Tale by Michael Cranford, but also in the very excellent Ultima series by Richard Garriott. And I read that someone had come in to suggest using the name Scarabray, and they used it unaware that it was part of the Ultima series. I can't help but think that maybe that consultant had read it there, or maybe just Scarabray was in the news. It's a pretty memorable name. In the game, you adventure. You get to travel around Scarabray, and there are special buildings that you could visit, including a equipment shop, the Adventurer's Guild, taverns, temples, dungeons, all of which contain mazes that you will need to travel through and defeat monsters in to win. And this is all done first person, meaning you as a player are looking at your screen and you are seeing a small screen where you're seeing what's exactly in front of you. If it's a monster, if it's a wall. And as you go through the maze, you'll see hallways that you're walking down. You'll turn left, you'll turn right. And for the 1980s, very immersive. The classes that you could choose from in the game include monk, paladin, hunter, bard, warrior, rogue, conjurer, or magician. Of all the things that were interesting about the game were the bards. It was really clever what Michael Cranford had come up with. Basically, letting the music of the bard, which you hear in the game, function as magic and be a long-lasting spell that has an effect on your party of adventurers. That might include making their armor stronger or increasing their attack speed. This was amazing for me at the time. I couldn't believe it. The music just wasn't background music. I was actively picking it, listening to it, and it was having an effect on the game. The bigger problem is what happens if the most useful song that you're listening to is also the one you dislike the most? It didn't happen much. That music in the game is pretty good. Combat in the game is done in text rather than shown graphically. So during combat, you don't move your characters around. And after you defeat whoever you're fighting, the treasure and experience points are distributed amongst whoever has survived. Because this game involves moving around and figuring out where things are, a map is really useful. And naturally, when you have games like this, they don't have a map. That's part of the fun of adventuring. And eventually you start to realize that maybe you should make a map. Now, as a person who played Dungeons and Dragons and had to map things out all the time, I'm ashamed to say it didn't always occur to me right away. I would try to memorize where everything was. But eventually I came around to just getting on the mapping right away. And I remember a lot of my early maps for the various Bard's Tale games. Eventually they would add an auto map, which made me a little sad. Still, it was a lot of fun, and I went through a lot of graph paper and reused a lot of those maps from the game in various Dungeons & Dragons campaigns. And I loved the moment of recognition from especially one of my players, my neighbor, when he recognized the location. So a little in-joke between us as Bard's Tale players. If the game was too hard for you, in 1986, EA released a clue book for the game. Not only did it show you how to play, but added something to the universe. It was written by T.L. Thompson and is done in the style of a document that would have come from within the world of the Bard's Tale. In the book, it is written by a fictional character named Pellis, who is working against Mangar and comes up with this document to help the adventurers who are going to move forward against Mangar. The game was released in 
North America in December of 1985 on the Apple II and Commodore 64. I think I played my first game right before New Year's of 1985 and would play it well into the new year. I remember it being very cold outside and I bundled up in blankets in my room because my window had to be half cracked because my friend was always talking to me. But what a great way to spend the winter. I went looking and found a circular from December of 1985 that is from Warehouse, which was a pretty big chain of stores. And they're listing their computer games and software that was being sold for Christmas of 85. This was right before Christmas was put out. So the top game on here was Ultima 4, which I mentioned Ultima earlier with Richard Garriott. Next up was The Bard's Tale. Oddly, for The Bard's Tale, they were only advertising the Apple version of the game. Maybe that's where they were making their money. But they have Commodore 64 versions of other games, almost all the other games. So I don't know why they chose just the Apple version. Maybe it's the only ones they could get. Their summary of The Bard's Tale is, The evil wizard Mangar has cast an eternal winter spell, but the bard knows no fear. It's kind of true. Next up was the Adventure Construction Set. Another good one. That was by Electronic Arts. Then you had Wishbringer, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and Spellbreaker by Infocom. Then we get to games put out by Accolade that include Hardball, the most graphically stunning computer baseball game ever, So Real You'll Be Reaching for the Rosin Bag, Sundog, and Law of the West. By Epics, you had the amazing Temple of Apshai trilogy. The World's Greatest Football Game, which is called The World's Greatest Football Game. And Winter Games by Epic, which is truly epic. There are a couple other things on here. Simon & Schuster put out the Star Trek, the Kobayashi Adventure for the Commodore 64, Apple, and IBM. They were selling the Koala Pad for the Commodore 64. What's interesting about this ad is that it doesn't have any pricing. It says everything's 30 to 70% off, but there are no prices on anything. So nothing on the other side. So you just had to know. An interesting moment in computer gaming history, that's for sure. The warehouse is having a wall-to-wall fun-for-all Christmas sale. Every department is just bursting with wall-to-wall gifts. Cassettes and LPs from Capitol Records at $5.99 each. Tina Turner's Private Dancer, now $5.99. Billy Squire's Signs of Life, now $5.99. Also $5.99, the Jay Giles Band, You're Getting Even While I'm Getting On. Hurry to the wall-to-wall fun-for-all Christmas sale before the walls are all that's left. The Ultima series was a juggernaut, and one of the only challenges it ever had was from Wizardry. And so here comes the Bard's Tale, which has some things that are much better than Wizardry, and it does very well. It would sell over 400,000 copies and did especially well on the Commodore 64. And that just goes to show you, you got to look what platforms you're putting things on. Wizardry did not have a Commodore 64 version at first. They would eventually do that in 1987, but the damage had been done. In the 80s, The Bard's Tale would sell over 400,000 copies. By 1993, they had sold over a million copies of the game. Reviews at the time are very positive. I read a good amount of reviews from the 80s, 85 and 86 mostly. All rated the game very well. A magazine I read a lot at the time, Dragon Magazine. You could look up Dragon issue number 116. They say about the Bard's Tale, it is a game of high adventure and is one we recommend for your software library. Computer Gazette said the game had a depth of 
concept and brilliance of execution. And that the greatest danger is not Mangar. It's the likelihood that you'll never be able to tear yourself away from this masterpiece of a game. So almost across the board, this game is rated really high. And when you have something like that, you're going to keep distributing it. And the Bard's Tale would go on to get lots of ports to different platforms. That includes the Amstrad CPC, the Amiga, the Apple II, the Atari ST. It would get a DOS release, a Macintosh release, a ZX Spectrum release, and a Nintendo Entertainment System release. The version on the NES is interesting because they tried to make it more family-friendly. That meant that the word kill would be scrubbed where possible, and that alcoholic beverages in the game were replaced with non-alcoholic beverages. Ports can only go so far, and they would release sequels for The Bard's Tale. They would do two direct sequels, The Bard's Tale 2, The Destiny Knight, and The Bard's Tale 3, Thief of Fate. They would also release a gaming system called The Bard's Tale Construction Set in 1991. In 1990, a compilation was released for DOS by EA called The Bard's Tale Trilogy. Cranford and Interplay would release a sequel in 1986, The Bard's Tale 2, The Destiny Knight. It follows closely in the footsteps of the original, but adds some new features to the game to improve upon it. It's iteration. Not as well received as the original game, but it did capture some people's hearts and win some awards. In 1988, The Bard's Tale 3, The Thief of Fate, was released, and it was designed by Rebecca Heinemann, along with Michael Stackpole and Bruce Schlickburn. It came out on the C64, DOS, the Apple II, and Amiga, and it had a lot of improvements over the original game. It had an auto-mapping system. I believe it was the first game to offer this feature. It had a really good save game system, new spellcasters. It also had a nice selection of music, as did The Thief of Fate. But I want to talk about one song that I love so much more than others. It's this one. When I got to play that the first time while playing this game, I found it so pleasing. Because, if you didn't know, that is the tale of Sir Robin. And it is originally from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And in the game, when you're playing the song about Sir Robin, you could run away from any fight when you want. And I thought that was hilarious and very useful. In 1991, the Tale construction set was released, and it was software that allowed you to build your own fantasy game based on the Tale game engine. It would come out for MS-DOS and the Amiga. I had it on MS-DOS. What was cool is that you didn't need to own a copy of the Tale construction set to play the games that it made. So you could share and distribute your own game, and a great number of shareware titles were developed. I developed some of my own adventures, and you could rename so many things in the game. You could import your own art. It was pretty amazing. A little tedious in retrospect, but at the time, I found it empowering. Unfortunately, amongst my group of friends, the interest in such things had waned, so often I was just pretty much playing my own games. I eventually found one friend who was still really into this stuff, and we had a lot of fun talking about the Bard's Tale and playing around with the construction set. It was really good because he was pretty talented at drawing with computers, and so he would provide art for games that we were making. I wish I still had them. 
In 2003, Brian Fargo had left Interplay and began a new development company. They would release their first game in 2004, which was called The Bard's Tale, but it was not related to the original one. It was a action role-playing game that kind of makes fun of traditional fantasy, so not a real great sequel. I'm not sure if they didn't want to be too similar to the original Bard's Tale because of some sort of copyright. I mean, it's just amazing they got to use the original name, but still not a great game in 2018, The Bard's Tale 4 was released through crowdfunding, and it matched the original storyline of The Bard's Tale, but gameplay was changed. They also did a virtual reality thing in 2017 as a spin-off, because in 2017, virtual reality was still pretty hot, so I guess it seemed like a really good opportunity, and that was The Mage's Tale that they released. Never tried that myself. What's kind of fun, although not completely related to the original game, is that they put out a series of novels based on The Bard's Tale. They were put out by Bain Books, and they started releasing them in 1992, and they released the last one in 1998. I think I bought the first three when they came out, and those were Castle of Deception, Fortress of Frost and Fire, and Prison of Souls. They would follow that with The Chaos Gate, Thunder of the Captains, Wrath of the Princes, Escape from Roxamer, and Curse of the Black Heron. Now, the mythology in this world sort of rambles a bit, but it's pretty interesting stuff, if not directly tied to the game. It's fun, sort of decent pop fantasy, so if you're a Bard's Tale fan or just looking for something different, you might want to check out the Bard's Tale books. You can find them online. Occasionally, they'll show up in a used bookstore, not as common as they used to be. The Bard's Tale was an interesting game that came out at a great time for people who owned Commodore computers, especially those of us who loved fantasy. And while it's been updated over the years, it's still, I believe, waiting for a proper sequel, not just a reinvention or playing around with the concepts in the game, but a true sequel, something that takes modern gameplay, expands upon the story, and makes for a compelling and new product. We don't have that yet, but we do have all of the original versions of The Bard's Tale, and 1, 2, and 3 are worth your time. You can find them online in many places, even play them in your browser at this point at the Internet Archive. So if you're looking for some fun fantasy and have never checked out The Bard's Tale, why not do yourself a favor and start playing it? Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist and instagram.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitch and Twitter. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. The art you see promoting this podcast was done by Christopher Tupa. Christopher makes all sorts of incredible art. If you like what you see and want to see more, you should drop by his website. That's at ctupa.com. That's ctupa.com. Thanks to everyone who has been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, why not give it a five-star rating 
on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download the show. Thanks to everyone who has been supporting the show. If you want to go one step further, you can support the show at Patreon. I'm at patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show, for as little as $3 a month, get access to supporter episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, the Retroist Discord, and much more. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. The evil wizard Manga the Dark. Oh, stupid. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.